This is Writers Not Writing, the show where you can get to know your favorite writers and soon-to-be favorite writers by listening to them confess to the ways they procrastinate. Thanks for procrastinating with us. I'm Benjamin Gorman, and the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry and stuff. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. And each week we have a secret word to listen for. If you catch it, you earn the right to take an extra break at the time of your choosing from whatever is stressing you out. From Not A Pipe Publishing, welcome to Writers Not Writing. What do you think, Doug? Today's secret word should be breaking news? Muffins? Muffins. Today's secret word is muffins. Welcome, everyone. We have some very exciting breaking news to bring you. Uh, I don't want to preamble it too much. I want to get into it. Um, but uh, first, I should explain that uh, I was going to record this very differently. I was going to record it live on location. Uh, and that would have been, I think, visually a lot cooler. But Doug would have then had to edit all these little clips of the live footage together. So... For Doug's sake, you're lucky that this is both a YouTube show and a podcast because uh, uh, I, you know, need to describe the way everything looks visually anyway uh, for the folks who are listening at home. So podcasters, Doug is very, very grateful you're here. Uh, thanks to you, he's not having to clip all this stuff together. Here's the big, exciting news. You, you, you know, probably have not heard about this in the mainstream media. Uh, uh, sorry, I, I, I get sarcastic about the, the, the criticism of the mainstream media, which provides us exactly what we want, uh, because, you know, they want to make money. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, the, the mainstream media has not covered this story uh, sufficiently, uh, in my personal opinion. Here's what you may not have been hearing enough about. It's Blackberry season. Yes, uh, those of you who are in the Pacific Northwest, we, you know already that we get to have blackberries right now. And uh, in growing in my backyard, uh, I, I've constructed a ring. Uh, this is a variation on Stonehenge. It's eight potted plant kind of pots. And then sticking out of each one is a, a bar that goes straight up. And that bar is, uh, you know, just, just PVC. Uh, and those are seven and a half feet tall. No, seven feet tall, I believe. I chose seven feet tall because I've got a couple of friends who are like six, five, and I didn't want them to hit their heads. So it's, you know, they're above their heads. And then this ring of PVC that connects these eight posts. And uh, then when I first constructed, it was just PVC and uh, lights. And these lights are the little hanging solar-powered light kind. And if you put enough of those on, it creates this floating ring of light around my fire pit. Well, uh, two years ago now, my fiance, Crystal, uh, recommended that I, I was going to plant something in the, the little pots that would just be at the base, some little flowers, just to be prettier than having these pots full of soil that are holding the, the uh, poles up. And she recommended that instead of this constant war that I am waging with the blackberries that try and sneak in from the neighbor's yard that I transplant some into those pots. This was met with uh, 
considerable disapprobation by some guests that we had who said, if I planted these things, it would be a nightmare. It would be terrible because if you've got blackberries, you know, once you've got blackberries, they keep coming back. They are a, a constant problem. The reason that I decided that Crystal's advice was the, the, the way to go is I already had the blackberries coming in regardless. And so whether they were coming in in you know an unwanted place in the side yard or this preferred place through these uh, pots, I was still going to have to be dealing with those ones on the on the were coming through in the corner of the yard. So I planted blackberries, just literally ripped them out of the ground from the place where they were coming up unwanted, and shoved them into these pots. And that was it. I mean, that was how hard it was. And in the summers, I water them. That's all it takes. Well, actually, no, that's not all it takes. Over the course of the year, almost every single day, I have to go out during the summer and twine them around themselves or else they would grow out and out and out. And so instead, uh, these have been guided so that they have stuck very close to these poles and that, and then spread around this ring. And the ring still has the lights. So you've got Lighthenge, which is what I call this thing. Uh, Lighthenge now is covered in blackberries. Now here's what's particularly exciting about this and why we need to have a special episode. Those blackberries this second year are producing a ton of fruit. So I have so many blackberries that I can go out and fill up a bowl uh, you know, in a given day and just have a bowl of blackberries. But I can't eat all the blackberries that are there. I, my, I've made a valiant effort. My uh, family, uh, my brother and sister-in-law and a couple of my nieces came out to visit recently and my brother threatened to eat all of the blackberries. Uh, he was unsuccessful. There are so many blackberries that have come in since already. So yesterday I made blackberry muffins and this is what I wanted to do our show about today for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, you may have been thinking that our breaking news was going to be Trump's indictment. And I do want to talk about that as well. Uh, I think that is historic in ways we probably don't appreciate enough. Um, we, we, we think of it as, uh, you know, similar to the previous 70, what were there, 74 indictments. Uh, but I think these last four charges are more important. I'll talk about that in, in a sec. Um, but I want to talk about these blackberry muffins. I brought one as a prop. And part of my live plan was going to be, I was going to, you know, be, be eating it and demonstrating how delicious these things are. Put some butter on it and melt it on there. It's amazing. And uh, again, for the benefit of the podcast listeners, I'm not going to eat a blueberry muffin in your ear. That would sound awful. So you will just have to trust me. These things are incredibly delicious. Uh, but they relate to us as writers as metaphor. Here's why. I saw this wonderful workshop. Uh, a couple of years ago from the poet Armin Tolentino. And if you get a chance to read Armin Tolentino's work, he's incredibly talented. And if you get a chance to meet him, he's just the nicest guy. So Armin Tolentino, highly recommend. Uh, but uh, his, his work is excellent. Uh, grab a copy. Um, but he does this workshop, this really great workshop, about the distinction between a cupcake and a muffin. What is a muffin and what is a cupcake? And it's worth stopping to reflect because when I say, hey, here's a cupcake or here's a muffin, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And yet, what makes something a muffin versus a cupcake? Is it merely frosting? Is it the quantity of sugar? 
what is a muffin? What is a cupcake? The reason that this is breaking news is that when I make cupcakes with blackberries, I use cake mix. So this is cake in muffin shape filled with blackberries. Is it a muffin or is it a cupcake? Now you're saying to yourself, who cares? It tastes good. I would eat it. That's, you know, that's all that, that's all that matters. Um, but Armin uses it as this wonderful metaphor for the distinction between poetry and prose. What is a poem and what is a piece of prose? When we look at a poem, we recognize, ah, that's a poem. When we look at a piece of prose, just on the page from a distance, just its structure on the page, we say, I know that that is prose. It's in paragraphs. Each paragraph is invented. But if we start to mess with it just a little, we find that the line is blurrier than we think. What if the paragraph lengths get really short? What if the poem is a prose poem? It doesn't have line breaks in the traditional way. When does the cupcake become a muffin? When does the muffin become a, the cupcake become a muffin? When does the muffin become a cupcake? It is not as cut and dry as we like to think. Uh, and again, that you know may seem ridiculous to some folks out there who are not particularly interested in poetry or not interested in prose. I doubt there are very many people who are interested in uh, poetry who aren't interested in prose. But for those of you who are interested in both, the, the exploration of the form of poetry requires thinking about what makes it poetry in this really useful, thoughtful way. In the same way in other art forms, people who think about what makes something an opera rather than a musical, or is there a distinction, benefit as artists. And so I wanted to bring that to all of you. I'll make that our weekly poll. Is it a cupcake? Is it a muffin? Uh, and, uh, and you'll get to weigh in on that. Um, but that, to me, is an interesting thing to contemplate. Actually, no, that's not the interesting thing to contemplate. Poetry versus prose, that's interesting. Blackberry muffins, not to be contemplated, to be consumed. But there is a relationship between the importance of blackberry muffins and the importance of a Trump indictment that I think is worth reflecting on. So let's break down this Trump indictment. Uh, if you have not read the entire indictment, I recommend it. It is very well written. It is written as a narrative. It is it is a well-written piece by uh, uh, Jack Smith, uh, who, uh, according to the Pod Save America guys, is uh, you know a, a scab uh, in the in the WGA strike because he's such a good writer. He shouldn't be allowed to write what will inevitably be a movie. Um, but the piece is very well. The indictment itself is very well written, and it tells a story. And if you go through it, a lot of the facts of it will not be new to you if you've been paying attention uh, to the January sixth hearings to a lot of reporting that has been done about what was going on within uh, Trump's orbit. Um, it, the information is laid out in a new, clearer way in terms of these charges. But I think the four charges themselves are really, really important. Um, what Trump is essentially being charged with is 
criminal lying, fraud, the obstructing, that is different than other kinds of obstructing. In the previous charges, I believe there's at least one obstruction charge in the attempts to hide these documents. And that is really important. We should not allow people to, you know, steal military secrets and then use them to try and impress their friends. And then when they are told you have to give those back, say, hey, you know, uh, buddies, cut the footage of us hiding those in bathtubs. I mean, that's ridiculous and also dangerous, right? People's lives are on the line who work in, uh, in you know, in uh, overseas in intelligence. You know, people probably already have died as a consequence of that misbehavior on Trump's part. So that I don't want to understate the importance of that charge, that, that, that whole case. But I think this one is more important in a kind of philosophical way in terms of the message that it will send to other politicians moving forward. We, uh, you know, of course, want our politicians in the future to look back and say, don't mess around with classified documents or you could get in trouble. And so in that way, that case could have, you know, benefits. But this one's a bigger lesson for politicians because what Trump is charged with doing is knowingly lying for the sake of raising funds and spreading lies that then caused the January 6th insurrection. He's not being charged with the insurrection. He's being charged with lying in a way that causes that danger. Uh, and the danger then, the, 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 you know, riot, the attempted coup that he planned, that there was more than one coup we're now learning, uh, but that portion of the coup was absolutely lethal to uh, you know police officers who were defending the Capitol um, and to one of the rioters themselves, uh, at least that I know of. Uh, but the, the 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 riot itself is is not something that Trump. It, it was merely a leg of the coup, and we are now learning that there was a lot going on behind the scenes and. That the people involved were aware that it was rooted in lies. And the trick of the case, and you're going to be hearing a ton about this, is can you prove that Trump knew it was a lie? The reason I think the case is so vitally important is that it doesn't hinge merely on that. There is a legal standard of should have known. And I think it's all going to come down to that. If everyone around you is saying the sky is blue and you say, I thought it was pink with purple polka dots, you could always hold on to that. And nobody can say, I know for a fact what is going on in your mind. But are you responsible to be aware of the fact that everyone around you is telling you this thing is a lie and you continue to propagate it? And I shouldn't use the, the sky is blue example. This is a, a life or death issue, right? Um, th this is a peaceful transfer of power. This is whether or not we will have a functioning democracy. Is somebody responsible to know that they are threatening that when everyone around them is telling them that it's false? And so we are going to be making a big decision. And when I say we, I, I choose that pronoun very carefully. Uh, I am of the opinion that the acts of our government are our collective responsibility 
every single person of voting age. We are responsible for what our government does. And so when we hold an election, regardless of who wins, we are all responsible. We have made a collective choice together. We've devised a system by which we make that choice together, and we have chosen to put that person in power. And whether that is your local mayor, that is your state rep, that is your state senator, that is your governor, that is your congressperson, that is your federal senator, that is your president, that's a choice that a body of people made together. And then all of those things that that person does, we are responsible for because we have means to pressure them to say, we will not reelect you uh, if you do something otherwise. And so we are exerting our collective will to create a system. By definition, it's going to be imperfect, right? It's going to be arguably a mess. We are, you know, organizing 330-odd billion or million people. That's a lot of people voices and inputs, and they are not equal. People who have a lot more money have a lot more power. People can be disenfranchised by the system. But at every level, those things which occur, which are injustices, are also our responsibility. The fact that people can be disenfranchised by our political system is our fault. The fact that uh, people who have a lot more money have a lot more say is our fault. Right. We could devise systems and pressure politicians to create better ones. And so we have to take responsibility for that. And that exists throughout the public sector. That includes the justice system. When the police do things that are irresponsible and harm people, that's our fault. All of ours. Right. When the uh, the you know, the, the court system uh, makes a specific ruling, it's not just the judge. Right. This is the system of laws that the judge is working under. This is the system that selects the laws. And ultimately, all of those decisions are made by us collectively. And what we're going to see in this next Trump case is the product of a lot of collective decision making. Where do we as a country stand on the question of whether or not a politician can lie? Now, politicians have always spun right? They have always spun, and many have lied. And that has been normal throughout, not just American history, the history of people leading other people, right? You say, you, you tell the story the way you want to tell it, you, uh, as uh, you know, in a leadership position, and many dissemble, and many overtly outright lie. This is a a, a function of communicating with the public, right? But I think historians will look back and say there was a turning point really with George W. Bush or George Bush Sr. making the choice to say no new taxes and then raise taxes. And arguably that was the, the, the very responsible thing to do. Taxes needed to be raised, right? But the lesson that his son learned was just lie. And if you're called out on a lie, instead of saying, you know what, here's the really complex reason why I had to change course, you're better off to just say, I never changed course. Double down. And that became normalized. It became normal to not acknowledge that you were lying. And 
during the Bush era, we didn't hold politicians accountable for their deceit. And that was a choice, again, and it was a choice Barack Obama's administration made to not hold the previous administration accountable. And I understand why the next administration didn't want to set the precedent of when the president comes into power, the first thing that the president does is, you know, put the previous administration on trial. That would potentially be a very dangerous precedent. But the choice to not put Dick Cheney and and potentially even George W. Bush on trial for the lies, the deceit, had consequences as well. And it sent a message to a populace that you know was infected by a backlash against having a first black president at the same time that all of this racist foment that many of us were just naive to we thought oh okay I mean, you, you can go back and you can read all these people talking about how uh, you know and i guess we're in a post-racial democracy now we were so naive and in fact, the inverse happened, and there was this huge upswell of people who were saying, oh, my notion of myself as being inherently you know, superior or privileged in some way by virtue of being white is suddenly threatened by having a black guy who's got the, the highest office in the land. That sense that they were suddenly threatened built this huge base. But what the, the, the base, Trump's base didn't know, perhaps, that they were, uh, uh, you know, leaning into was someone who had learned the lesson lesson of George H.W. Bush, which was lie, and if you're called out on it, lie more. Lie more to cover up the previous lie. And, well, you know, reporters and pundits are playing this old-fashioned game of, hey, we caught you, we've got a scandal here, you replace the scandal with a bigger scandal. And they're caught flat-footed. Wait a second, didn't people care about that thing that happened last week? Oh, wait, this is this is worse. Oh, no, we, we need to chase the larger scandal. And this was the way the Trump organization functioned, right? It was build a bigger scandal for next week, very intentionally, right? Take the attention away from the thing that is was one lie and tell another one that's bigger. And that's why Trump was able to tell more lies, documented falsehoods, than any human being in the history of our species. There may be compulsive liars who have lied more, but not documented in the same way. Right now, there are more lies, there are demonstrable lies that Trump has told than any human ever. Ever. And that is a I, I have challenged Trump supporters to find me documented cases of people telling as many lies, and no one has ever found one. Uh, nobody's been able to present me with someone and say, "Here was a you know a, a, a psychological study on a person who was a compulsive liar who was institutionalized, and the number of lies they told was X." Whereas we can actually document, and you know, some of that is just a function of the fact that Trump was people were paying attention. But there are lots of people who are uh, under scrutiny in the same way that a, a president is, or similar ways, and they do not lie this much, right? He is the most documented liar ever. And his base, I, I kid you not, I would talk to people who would say to me, the thing I like it about him is he tells it the way it is. 
which is a really interesting phrase because they weren't saying he tells the truth. I think some of them believed that it was the truth, but I think many of them liked the way he lied forcefully, right? He lied with great confidence, uh, which is what con artists do, right? And they, they appreciated this kind of authoritarian vision, this, this you know, hyper-masculine, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to punch him in the face rhetoric from a guy who would never get in a fight. Like, the guy is an absolute coward in every way. What he does is he runs away from fights with lies, right? He is the, the weakest kind of coward. Um, but if you believe in that confident way of, of, you know, lying, 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 then you like the sound of that. So here's what we are going to figure out right now as a country, which my, my hope is will affect other leaders in the future. If we say we are willing to hold someone accountable for lies, if those lies then cause damage, if those lies cause deaths, if those lies, uh, you know, lead to, uh, you know, uh, clear violations of the Constitution, of the law, that sends a really powerful message to future politicians. Think carefully about whether or not you want to replace a lie you've been caught in with a bigger lie, or maybe acknowledge that you were wrong and back down on that statement before your lies snowball to the point where you yourself cannot even control the consequences of those lies because you will be held accountable for those lies. Uh, I've, I've been very, very concerned about our movement into this place where we are so polarized that we do not have shared facts. Uh, it's a very dangerous uh, state of affairs. Uh, our, our, our company, you know, there, there are these really limited ways that I can uh, react, but I, I, you know, I try. And so we put out an anthology called Denial Kills that is about the danger of lying. And it came out during COVID. Uh, and of course, nobody bought it. Nobody was, you know, buying books during the latter half of COVID. They bought all the books that they possibly thought they were going to read at the beginning and then went, oh, no, I'm just going to sit around and be depressed and not actually read books. So <laughs> book sales at the beginning of COVID were uh, were surprisingly strong. And then for the rest of lockdown were really terrible. Uh, and, and it was not a good time to come out with this book. But the exercise of putting together the voices of folks from different parts of the political spectrum, from different countries around the world. There's an author in there from Pakistan, an author from Australia, an author from Norway. This is not just an American phenomenon, but this you know world, global information uh, world of the internet allows us to be in a post-truth world around the world, uh, post-truth reality on a global scale. And that is dangerous in many places in many ways. Um, uh, you know, it, we are we see whataboutism. We see all kinds of ways of preventing us from acknowledging uncomfortable truths and dealing with those in this fact-based way. But part of the danger is no one is held accountable for telling lies in any substantive way. Uh, or, and this this may even be worse. The people who fall for the lies are are facing more consequences. 
the people who are, you know, your January 6th rioters who believed what they were told have faced more consequences than the people who lied to them. And what we are going to find out in the in indictments 75, 76, 77, 78 mm-hmm. is can the person who is most responsible, the buck stops here guy, take ownership of the consequences of the lies? Or is it always going to be everybody below who believed them? Everybody who worked on the behalf of the person who was supposedly responsible. I expect we are going to see, the defense is going to say, it was everyone but Trump. All the people who acknowledged and said to Trump, you are lying, they were, you know, the other co-conspirators, the other uh, five unnamed co-conspirators may end up facing consequences. And the big question, and this is where Jack Smith, I think this is a masterstroke, only charged one of the co-conspirators, Donald Trump. And all those others now need to decide, do we want, they could face charges later. Do we want to be the people who go down for him? We tried to tell him. I expect some have already started cooperating and Trump doesn't know which, and we don't know which, and they can come forward right now in public, not under oath, and say, wasn't me. And Trump and all of his people who are still holding on need to recognize any one of those co-conspirators could have flipped and could be providing the evidence and could sit down on a stand and say, oh, no, I absolutely uh, lied. Already uh, Rudy Giuliani, who I don't expect to be the one to flip because he's neck deep in all of this, came forward with this very bizarre statement where he said, oh, I acknowledge that it was all lies, but I don't think I did anything wrong. Um, and he's trying to mount this weird defense where it was, you know, kind of I'm, I'm allowed to lie to people on free speech grounds, uh, but uh, but but these were not, you know, big deal. I mean, these lies were, were not a big deal. Um, and and that I don't. Well, I, I shouldn't say I don't know if that's going to fly. We are going to find out together. So you'd think maybe that's the breaking news, right? When here's this story that is incredibly momentous potentially in that it could have influence over our leaders for generation or two generations to come, right? We have short attention spans or short memories in the United States, but maybe uh, the, the next generation of leaders will say, you don't want to lie. You can actually end up in jail if you lie. Um, that could have a huge impact on the way that we make decisions collectively if we can trust the people who are our, our political leaders to recognize that they are imperiled uh, by lies that they tell. So that's the breaking news, right? Or is it Blackberry Muffins? And this is an actual legitimate question for me. I spend a lot of my energy, a lot of my time focused on activism of various kinds, whether that is, you know, standing on a street corner with a sign or whether that's sharing out information uh that that you know that uh you know trying to persuade people the various uh be concerned about you know various issues um or just consuming an incredible amount of news right which is a part of activism understanding what's really going on right reading books uh written by people who are not like me so that i can understand right and yet the often i i wrestle with how much it matters how much difference can i make in this world, you know, in this country of 333 billion million people, in this world of 7 billion people, 
does it does my work matter? Does anything I do matter? Right. And I get depressed and I struggle with that a lot. You know, I, I, I'm also a, a teacher. Uh, I've taught thousands now of, of high school students. Uh, I love them. I think that their influence on the world is, you know, the, the, the best way that I can influence the world in many ways. Um, and yet, I also know that I'm working in a broken system. And it is a system designed to often get in the way of those students as much as it is to help them. And that I am help, I am complicit in that. And that's something I really struggle with. Uh, and so, you know, on my darker days, I'm going, okay, well, a story like what has just happened with Donald Trump is consuming my attention. And does it matter? Am I right to be letting people know, hey, pay attention to this? This is relevant in this way that I think it's relevant, right? Because maybe whether or not I pay attention to it has no bearing on the outcome. Not maybe. That's a fact. If I didn't pay any attention to this, I don't think it would change anything at all. I think if a lot of us pay attention to this, if a lot of us behave as though telling the truth matters, um, that is what turn, you know um, ultimately makes all the difference, right? How many of us, when we are making collective decisions, share the value that telling the truth is an important thing? And uh, if that is most of us in a democracy, then we have a society rooted in some kind of fealty to the truth. Um, and if we decide that's irrelevant, we can have us an entire society that is out of touch with reality. And we could decide that. We could choose that, right? Um, and so I, I wonder, am I wasting all of my efforts? And then I have the opportunity to go into my backyard and pick a bunch of blackberries and get some, you know, $2 cake mix and, uh, uh, you know, for, for, for what, uh, eggs and, and oil and, uh, and, you know, toss them in the oven, 350 for 18 minutes, uh, and have these amazing blackberry muffins. And maybe that matters more. And maybe I need to stop and reflect on what matters more without going so far as to say, I'm going to be disengaged uh, when it does matter, right? Um, uh, this, this is, I, I do not know the answer to this. You know, there's a part of me that chafes whenever somebody says, oh, I don't pay attention to the news. I, I, I don't get involved in that kind of stuff. It is tiresome to me. And I think how much privilege one must have to be able to believe that they that, that you know to, to, to not care about the people who are more impacted uh, by the news and so i really struggle with that but the flip is should i be paying so much attention when i can't have an impact uh if it doesn't change my actions if you know should, should i only pay attention enough to know what I need to do, or do I need to obsess, right? And uh, blackberry muffins might be a good counterweight. And so that's going to be my advice to all of you this next week. Doug, I will absolutely share 
the blackberry muffins with you. So uh, Doug and I have that advice for you this next week is find a blackberry muffin or a beautiful painting or read a good poem uh, or look at the beautiful full moon that we are experiencing right now tonight. Take some time to think about which matters more. Your experience of that beautiful full moon, of that poem, of that delicious blackberry muffin, or of the state of your country and the people who matter in it and who might be the most at risk because of a post-truth society. I, I, I honestly cannot tell you how that scale balances but it's worth thinking about so take some space this week as always i say at the end of every show take some space and remember no matter how much you procrastinate doug and i are proud of you Thanks. if i take my time